Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening. It is Jay Scott, and it is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We do appreciate when you do. Don't forget to write us a review when you're done listening, as well as check out PantheonPodcast.com, the platform that we are a part of. It's a music-related platform with a bunch of music-related podcasts, including the official Metallica podcast, the Metallica Report. So check that out and more. You can find them on social media at Pantheon Pods on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can do the same with the Hook Rocks and all three of those platforms. Just search up the Hook Rocks. Don't forget to set your podcast app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone and access to all the previous episodes that we've done. We've had some really good episodes to start the new year. We're about six, seven weeks into 2024. And we had... Joe Satriani, we've had the Gems, we've had Tuck Smith, we've had Scott Holiday of Rival Sons, Todd Damacurns, a whole bunch of great guests. We just welcomed the Starbenders, Kimmy Shelter, a band out of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, so go check out all those great episodes. There's something for everybody. Jeff Pilson, the former bassist of Dokken, now a foreigner, he also visited us. And we've got plenty more to come here over the next few weeks. So, like I said, make sure that app is set to automatic download so you get the latest episodes. And we've got a great new music spotlight for you today. It's a band out of the UK that I'm really into, uh, really enjoy. Um, and we're going to talk with both Aaron and John. And their new album is coming out soon. We're going to talk about that too as well. And the band is These Wicked Rivers. What's happening, guys? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Just enjoying winter outside of Chicago. 
you know, I don't know if we can really enjoy that because it's cold today, but uh, <laughs> but here we are. Oh, we feel your pain. We're in England. It's cold all the time. <laughs> We've kind of become accustomed to it, though, haven't we, John? Like it's yeah. it's, it's just um, we just we just kind of acknowledge it for what it is at this point. We usually get a pretty hard winter, but this winter's actually been pretty mild. It's like twenty nine degrees today, um, but usually, like a few weeks ago, it was like minus ten. And uh, but yeah, it, we didn't get it that bad. <laughs> yeah, but like, earlier this week it was like fifty, and I was out for a walk with my dog. And but you know, Chicago, you wait twenty minutes, and the weather will change. <laughs> so. Well, we got lots to talk about with you know with you guys. Um, excited for the album. The album's called Force in Nature, and we always start off the same way every time we have a new guest. I mean, in this case, we've got a plural two guests. On what hook do you on rock and roll? Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? For me, it was um, the first time I heard Cigarettes and Alcohol by Oasis, I think. Just like at at the time I was sort of a very young teenager, sort of 13-ish, I think. And um, all I really listened to at that point was pop music. And then I just heard that opening riff of that song and I was like, yeah, this this is what I want to do. How about you, Aaron? So I had a selection of vinyl that I, brought, I got brought when I was about 10 years old. And uh, and that had, you know, Maiden's first album in there, Skinner's first album. Um, but Queen, Night of the Opera. And I remember just hearing Death on Two Legs. And just, just the I loved the power of the riff. And I loved Freddie's vocals. I loved the English eccentricity that kind of flowed through it and the, the art of sort of storytelling behind that powerful riff. And just that combination and the whole album as a whole just just took me and i was just yeah i was just locked in from there really both interesting bands i mean you look at queen obviously freddie mercury is such a well-known figure globally and the band is is so well known and their hits are icon you know iconic songs you know we are the champions we will rock you you know songs like that bohemian rhapsody of course but i think their deep catalog doesn't get appreciated enough you know 100 you know, there's there's so many great songs, like you mentioned, Death on Two Legs, Seven Seas Rye, you know, all these other great songs that are just there that no one really ever talks about. Or or I should say people do, but it's not really in the in the ethos of you know mainstream. It's like you tell someone about, you know, News of the World or Night at the Opera or Day at the Races, and you talk talking about songs and they're like, What song is that? I've never heard that. So it's really interesting. And then you got Oasis. Which, in my opinion, is really the the last rock band of that era to have an attitude. I mean, those guys did not give a fuck. What <laughs> no, they still don't, <laughs> and they still don't, and they don't care what they said. And like, and I would love for rock and roll to be like that again. You don't have to be a heroin addict or you know whatever throwing TVs out of hotel rooms to be a rock star. Just be an asshole in the press and not give a fuck what you say. You know what I mean? So that's my opinion, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a place for people being nice in rock and roll as well. But it, it is always nice when you do see the occasional sort of full on rock star. Yeah, those guys were just great. Like every time they opened up their mouth, you wanted to hear what they had to say because you know it was going to be 
chaotic, you know, and, and I think that's an ingredient in rock music that is, um, is not done enough today. I think more bands should just, you know, try to piss people off because I think that's rock and roll is all an attitude. It's a large part of rock and roll is an attitude. It's interesting because for me, I think both bands were rebellious in different ways. Like I think Queen had an attitude where in some ways it takes it takes more balls to go out there and perform like Queen and Freddie did than as much balls as it takes Oasis to, to speak in the press and stuff that they did, you know. And I think sometimes you can be rebellious in the, your songwriting and your performance. And, you know, songs like Lazy on a Sunday Afternoon, you know, Seaside Rendezvous, you know, nobody was writing songs like this because they were kind of rebellious in how out there they were you know and I, I think that i always loved that about queen there was an element of rock and roll that was was very different to a lot of other bands you know in terms of that attitude conversation yeah they were they both both bands did not compromise you know and that's mm. they may have done it with two different approaches but they did not compromise and freddie had that swagger that you know, he prowled like a panther on stage. You couldn't take your eyes off of him. And, you know, the the band was just full of musicians. And then, you know, Oasis just was that angst that connected with a lot of young people. They both connect with a lot of young people, like you said, for different reasons. But the one commonality between both of them was they didn't compromise. Yeah, great point. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So you guys got your new album coming out, Force of Nature. You've released some singles. Um, you guys are ready to go with that. What's been the process leading up to this point on the verge of releasing the album? We started writing it during lockdown, so it was a bit different to sort of previous albums, that uh, the previous album we did, because um, it involved a lot of recording at home, sending things between each other, um, sort of, writing songs remotely almost. Um, and it wasn't until sort of late on in 2001, early 22, that we were able to get into a room and actually finalise all of the songs. Um, and also, because we were gigging a lot, we ended up having to record around our day jobs. So the recording process was really different to anything we'd done before as well. Um, we were sort of an evening here, an evening there, a weekend there. One or two of us would be in the studio while the rest of us were at work and things like that. Um, so it was, it was a very different process to what we're used to. And it was quite difficult at times, but we, I think we've sort of pulled through it and we're really proud of what we came out with at the end of it. The song songwriting process was different as well because it was there was there's a few songs in there for people that don't know the band which we probably gigs for for a number of years that we felt like we really wanted to commit to the to a record and also with Rich coming in who's who's our keys and sort of multi instrumentalist player and Dale on bass they both brought so much to them original songs we just really wanted to commit them to 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 a record in the sort of full form that they'd become and also a lot of songs on there were songs that Richard brought to the band from previous projects that he allowed me to kind of take apart and rebuild with a river's sound and style you know so it was a it was a much interesting process than we did with our debut album for example where we went and lived in Wales for like two weeks you know in the in the in the woods and, and kind of recorded that all together living there um, which was beautiful but 
at the same time as John said, despite that process being difficult this time round, we're all very proud looking back that one we got through that process, and two that we've got a, you know a product that we're really happy with and an album really proud of at the end of it. You guys mentioned that you know once the lockdowns were over, you were able to be in the same room, but you know for a band. I got to think that's pretty difficult to be isolated when you're creating and not be in the room when you're initially creating the process. That's got to be different in itself. Yeah. Um, I, I found it sort of pretty hard in particular, um, sort of not being with the boys while I was, while we were writing. Um, so I think once we eventually did get these songs into a room, it was, it was almost quite cathartic sort of, blasting them out for the first time together. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, well, I, I quite enjoyed the process because I tend to write a lot by myself anyway. So learning that process and being able to get my mind out onto into a, some sort of recording setup and out to the boys, I, I actually enjoy But John's spot on is the song never really comes to life until it, it's the five of us in a room and that's when it truly starts to become what it's, what it's going to be. Do you find that when you look at your music and you're you know, obviously you're ready to release this album and you kind of go through and, and reflect on what you've done prior to this, this album, this music must speak differently to you because of the experience, right? And maybe the music you look back on is, is fond or the music you're ready to listen to, you look at as fantastic music, but the experience really tells the story kind of behind will that always be with you whenever you think of this music on the album um i think for me personally the the thing that sort of sticks in my memory of songs is the reaction from crowds when we play them live i don't particularly think about the recording process or the writing process it's just sort of like the the first time we played just to be a man off this album um was um a small venue in in Norwich in the UK and I can remember hitting the last note of it and some guy in the crowd just sort of screaming like just going mental for it um it's that kind of thing that sticks in my head for songs yeah I'm exactly the same I think I think as a band uh, for anyone that's ever seen us or testify that we, we really do give everything in that moment. You know, we we don't leave anything off stage and we, we wear about, we wear about three layers of velvet jackets and, and hats and fedoras. So by the time we come off, we're absolutely drenched. So and we're, we're very well known as a live band. So I think all of us would, when we think of these songs, we think of their moments when we've connected with the audience and we've been able to finally take them out and, and feel that reaction. I mean, John mentioned just to be a man, I, I think about that all the time. The first time we played that, because it just felt like such a magical connection between, you know, myself and the boys on stage and and the crowd out front. It was it was what it's about. You mentioned the live experience and what you're known for and the reputation you have. Is it difficult to capture that energy when you're recording an album? Um, I think it can be. I think um, on this album, we've done a much better job of record of capturing that album that sound sorry that energy um i know um one of our good friends interviewed us for his radio show the other day and he said like this is the first recording he's heard of us where it really does capture that sort of live energy 
he's been to see us many times before. Um, so I think it's it's pre- it's a pretty lovely thing to hear that coming from someone that has seen us a lot. Um, and I, I think it sort of validated how we f- felt about the the final product as well. It's very difficult because I think with live, when you because we're such intense performers as well, and we put so much into it, it's hard to recreate that in a studio, you know. And uh, but I think because we'd we gigged some of the songs for quite a while, that helped massively because I think when we went into the studio, we had a connection to it in a live sense, and we were able to transfer that onto the record a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult because you've got to try and emulate them, them, them emotions to get that kind of performance out. But as John said, I think this record's definitely the closest we've got to it so far. What did you guys do differently? Um, I mean, obviously we, we all ended up going into the studio separately for this album, which is, um, it was unusual. So I can only speak for myself, but sort of the engineer who was recording as Martin, there was, one song in particular, I was sort of struggling to get that feeling across, which was Lonely Road. And he made me just sit in the room on my own for about half an hour, just thinking about that song and what what I was feeling when I wrote the song. And the next take I did of it is the one that's on the album. Um, it it was just things like that. that. Cheers, man. <laughs> I think for um, me, from a guitar perspective, it was uh, I, I started double tracking guitars quite a lot, um, and I'd use different amps and different guitars and different sounds just to try and thicken up the the sound. Because live, it's even though it's just it's me and John, obviously, you know, with uh, from a guitar perspective, it's just it just there's another energy to it, and it feels so much heavier live. So I wanted to try and recreate that by double tracking the guitars and double tracking some of the solo leads as well, you know, and just experimenting with guitar sounds and to try and recreate that energy and i enjoyed that process to be honest it was it was a challenge but it was i enjoyed trying different things in the studio you know particularly with guitar harmonies as well so not something we do live but that was a big thing for me on this record because i'm such a big fan of bands like finn lizzie and like we mentioned before with queen and brian may and the way he overlaps the guitar solos in the studio so to be able to explore that side of the band and we'll continue to explore that with future records was a, was a big step for me have you ever considered, I mean, obviously because of what happened, you had to record your parts separate, but do you ever envision yourselves recording an album live in the studio? That that would be the dream. Um, that w- We definitely want to get to a point where we, where we can do that. Because um, um, I think um, it, it, it will certainly make it easier to get that sort of energy across if we're all in a room together sort of playing live um it wasn't possible with this album so we had to sort of look at it in a different way to try and get that energy across but i do think that we we got there with it i think like you say a lot of the bands which we're inspired by follow that process you mentioned scott holiday been on on your own show you know we're all kind of big fans of rival sons and i think they tend to record live and we'll build on it from there so i think that's definitely the next step yeah, David Cobb, who's done their last few albums, you know, uh, producing, really is in into creating that live environment in the studio, um, and they do. He does a really good job of capturing that. I know he does Blackberry Smoke Records too, as well, 
And it's that same kind of vibe where you can kind of feel because both those bands are tremendous live, you know, similar to what your reputation is. They have a incredible reputation of being two great live bands. And, you know, you, you find it, as you know, difficult to match that because when your audience comes and sees you and they hear you, they, they know your records first, they know your singles first and they go see you, you know, they, they get blown away because of your reputation of being intense, being a great live act. And for me, at least for being a music fan, being a rock fan, who's been to so many shows, I get to the point where even when I'm listening to a song in the car that is on an album, I'm hearing the energy of the live performance because I know what level that band can get to live. And it's kind of a really cool thing for a fan, someone who's been in the audience to be able to kind of translate in something that's coming out of the speakers, but your brain morphs it into something else. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That is, to, to be fair, I, I had a similar experience listening to rivals and after the, after I'd seen them live for the first time as well. Um, Cause I always loved the songs anyway, but after I do hear them different after seeing them live. Yeah. I mean, seeing them, I remember the first time I saw them, I was a casual fan. Like, oh yeah, they're a good band. I, I like them. And then I saw them live in Chicago and I'm like looking at my friends. I'm like, holy shit. These guys just are exploding beyond the room. And they just, yeah. And I would love to see you guys. Obviously you guys are in the UK. Maybe at some point, you know, if the expenses ever come down to you know travel from overseas into the States, you know, you guys can do that. I know it's a challenge for a lot of bands because of the cost, but you know, I, I love when a band really elevates their performance live and, and um, you know, people are able to enjoy that and see that. I think that's a huge part of rock and roll because for, for a long time, there were bands that stared at their feet and stood still, you know, and, and I want to be, I want to hear great music and be entertained at the same time. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, a lot of the inspiration we take brothers kind of from them, um, sort of 70 shows you know we want it to be a almost like a a show rather than a gig you know we want it to fe- to feel like you're going to go through a mixture of emotions from start to finish and you're going to see each character when you was mentioning about seeing bands live i love the fact that when you're standing there in the crowd you can see each individual performer's personality come out throughout the show you can feel their emotions and they feel that wave and you come away feeling like you know a part of them and I think that's what great performers do. They connect in a way, in a very spiritual sense, just through giving themselves by performing the songs they've written. And we all do that. You know, we, we all, we're very proud of the fact for the, for those that don't know, we kind of, we've, our stage show has been nicknamed um, Grandma's Living Room because we have four standing lamps. You know, we, we have a hat stand. And eventually it's probably going to develop to the point where we're carrying like an old sofa around. It's, it's only going to get, I know you said worse then, but that's mainly because we, us and our road crew have to cut it around. But ultimately, it all adds to that experience and that sense of escapism, um, which I feel a true rock and roll show has to has to provide. I think if you do get the sofa, what you need to do is make sure you get the plastic covers on the cushions. Uh, that's very smart. That's to make smart. it, yeah, to make it authentic, Grandma's living room i mean <laughs> who hasn't experienced that at grandma's house with on a hot summer day and the plastic uh cushions and it sticks to your skin i mean that is part of part of grandma's house uh, we'll have to have somebody walking around offering people uh, dry biscuits out of the tin as well on the front row we're, it's, we're, we're always looking at ways to to 
elevate it. And we did that on the last UK tour for the album in December. And, um, you know, we started having flowers on stage and, and people will know at the end of the show, we kind of give stuff out, you know, we're, we love any way that we connect with people and mainly just make an impact. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about is that, you know, in 2024, it's, it can be quite challenging kind of living in society. And I always love the fact that rock music can be escapism from that. You know, it's a, you forget about it all for a couple of hours while you listen to rock and roll. And part of having the stage show and what we wear and the songs we perform is being able to, to help, you know, provide a, a, a format for that escapism. I agree. I mean, I look at my increase in live music, going to see live music and concerts, and I think it has increased over the last decade every year because of what the world is like these days. I want to go away for two, three hours and feel that adrenaline as much as I can and have that escapism as much as I can and you know, hear great music, see great performances, be taken emotionally by that stuff because music, you know, touches people's souls, right? And and we we should want more of that. I I had a conversation with Eva Marie from the band Eva Under Fire, and in one of the things I said to her was, if the world was just one giant rock concert, there'd be nothing but peace in every corner of the globe, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that sentiment, to be honest. When you guys are recording music and you're writing your songs, do you do you picture, do you envision what it's going to be like performing these in front of an audience? Um, I, I don't, to be honest. I When I'm writing a song, I just want to generally get out whatever emotion I'm feeling at, at that time. Um, it's only sort of once we do start playing it that, that sort of I associate it with, with that audience reaction. Um, but then sort of after that songs sort of take on a whole new life for me, because then I've started associating it with the reaction as well as what I was trying to get out onto the page at the time I wrote it, if that makes sense. I think we all have, everyone that writes in the band, and we do all write, we all have different writing styles, but we all write for different reasons and want to just kind of, and for me, I'm more of a writer than a, I'm more of a performer, sorry, than a writer. So as soon as I'm putting a song together, I'm thinking about the live show. I'm thinking about where it'd fit in a set. You know, I'm thinking, right, tonight I want to write an opening song for the set. I'm going to write something that has that energy and it's going to grab people. You know, and I'm always thinking about how this bit would be really exciting because it will make people, you know, kind of step back and stuff. So I think as writers, we all have different reasons why we're doing, you know, I think like John, for him, it's a more of an emotional connection and wanting to bear himself in that way. Whereas for me, it's more from a desire to entertain and give joy from that sort of performance aspect. And I imagine for Rich and, and Dan and Dale, they all have their own different reasons and then the different writing styles that link him in, in with that. So let's talk about the album, Course of Nature. Is um, due out March the first, and what makes you when you think about this album? What? How do you define it? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. 
Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, I mean, for me, it's just sort of really... a. Um, a rock album sort of bearing our soul through music um that, that's the only way i really can describe it it it's just me rich aaron dan and dale bearing our soul through through music i think at this point in our career as well there's a little bit of as because we've, we've we've gigged so much over the last few years it's it's about us kind of putting our hippie flag in the ground and kind of saying this is who we are as well you know and hopefully at this point in our career having the platform to reach out to, to people as, as, such as yourself you know in different countries and, and saying this is who we are um join us for the ride you know and as john said it's, it's a very honest album you can hear us kind of you know bearing our souls in there as well as you know wanting to showcase the character and the energy of the band in hopefully the best way we could at this point in our uh, in our story with every record, there's an evolution of you both as musicians, as performers, as, as a band, as, as, a, as a single unit. Where do you think you've evolved the most since you started the band? I think um, the biggest sort of part of the evolution for me was um, when Rich, the multi-instrumentalist keys guy, joined the band. Um, so he joined straight after lockdown was over um and just the amount that he's added to the to the sonics of the live show with sort of filling out bits here and there with the keys 
he'll pull out a mouth organ at points. Um, then there's sort of an extra layer with an acoustic guitar behind them on some some songs, um, and the extra backing vocals as well. I think he's just added extra layers that bring out the the song more. I think That's for me, me. It's, I think I think for me, this, when look back on the past few years, the biggest evolution was when we we did a five week solid tour with uh, a band called Hasty Dixie. Um, which was sort of six dates in Scotland, you know, six in Wales and all up and down the, the UK. And and I think we just evolved as 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 not just as a band but as people, you know, and we 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 it was a it was a long slug, but it felt like an old school tour. I think a lot of modern bands now will tend to, to, to book easier tours, you know, and and not spread themselves out that much. Whereas I loved how old school it was. We had one day off on a Monday and that was literally to sleep and wash, <laughs> wash, wash clothes, try and make ourselves as least stinky, stinky as we can before we went out wherever it was going on the Tuesday. And I, I just felt we grew so live bands as, and, and the songs as well, you know, even songs we did for a long time used to tonight. And I was just really proud of how we dealt with that, that scenario and, and how much we, we grew because of it. Do you need to push yourselves like that? Like try to find something that keeps that evolution process going? Um, I think that we we enjoy sort of pushing ourselves like that, to be honest. Um and I think I think we would naturally evolve anyway, but the fact that we enjoy each other's company so much, we enjoy pushing ourselves like that when we're together. Um, that that only sort of serves to help that evolution. Yeah, I'd agree completely. I think we're very reflective as well as a band. We'll look back on things we've done and think, could we have done this better? You know, even with the recording of this album, as John articulated, it was a it was a difficult process for us, and much different than the first record. You know, and we'll and we can reflect on that learn grow and, and move forward and take all of that experience to make us even better the next time around you know and i think a lot of the bands we draw inspiration from particularly myself in terms of the queens and the pink floyd and a lot of them 70s bands i feel you don't write them sort of songs or albums without reflecting on who you are and and how you can grow you know and constantly searching that that evolution as far as you know evolving and and, and, and all that stuff you know there's also the the inner struggle artists have between self-confidence and lack of confidence, right? I mean, I get music sent to me from bands and they'll tell me, listen to it once, don't listen to it twice, and then call me and let me know what you think of it. And I'll call them and say, oh, it sounds great. This is awesome. This is badass. Like, yeah, doesn't it sounds great? And I'll talk to them like a week later. I don't know if it's any good. I don't know. You know, do you guys have that same internal struggle with each other? Like that, that, you know, that artistic personality that, you just you go from one moment of of you know being secure with it, and the other moment of not being insecure with it. Do you guys struggle with that as well, like a lot of artists do? I think that's that's just part of being human, isn't it? Um, that little niggling voice in the back of your head saying saying that you you're not good enough or something isn't good enough. Um, but part of part of the struggle of being human is sort of living with that voice, but knowing when to listen and when not to listen. Yeah, um, I think you've put that on. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's well, it's, as you mentioned, that internal struggle, you know, I think it's hard when you're on your own 
and you're having that internal struggle. And one of our strengths as a band is how we support and guide each other. You know, as, as John said, if we've written a song and one of us is reflecting on it and feeling like there's, you know, what, is it right to be on the album? I think we'll all reinforce it or challenge it as well. You know, if we if we feel that it's, if we feel that we agree with them, let's explore that. You know, we're all very supportive of each other. And if there's any doubts in there around anything, we're keen to, to not just immediately quash it, but to try and explore it and understand it as well, you know. And I think that means a lot, you know. We're, we're very much, we call our fans the family, but I think that ultimately comes from the fact that we're, we're a family as a band as well, you know. We spend far too much time together for a collection of bearded gentlemen, you know, that have got their own wives and families, you know, behind it all. Um, but thankfully, we've, we've all drawn closer because of it. I think you guys have, a like, a, a man cave with a band in it, you know. It's like... It's where you go to escape. Yeah, we we do actually have a man cave just full of all our gear and stuff. To, and we do quite often just go there and just jam out to escape, to be honest. There's a lot of lamps. It could be classed also as a lamp warehouse. Like if, that <laughs> needs, if anyone went there, they'd be very confused. It looks like a hippie cove and slash man cave slash lamp warehouse. Maybe that's the title of your next album, Lamp Warehouse. <laughs> bit concept record bit concept yeah. record explore the inner workings of oneself within the lamp warehouse I mean how many songs can you write about electrical outlets and changing light bulbs oh don't challenge us Jack yeah, yeah don't, don't challenge us because Aaron will go off on one dip trying to write an entire album about that I'd, I'd love to write a concept album they'd never allow it and I, I would write it I mean our next star uh, our next UK tour is called the Peace, Love and Lampshades Tour. And uh, we once played a festival once and didn't bring the lamps and there was nearly a riot. So they've become quite quite an essential, uh, essential part of the stage and uh, the overall show. Hey, you know, if, if lampshades need a place in rock and roll, right? Just like, just like the sex drugs in rock and roll, right? Lampshades yeah. need a place everywhere. <laughs> it's now sex drugs lampshades and rock and yeah. roll oh, that was the missing thing for years they were searching for it and we found it <laughs> that's the genre that's how the genres evolved guys <laughs> um as far as the songs obviously you guys are proud of the material that you've recorded and is there a standout for each of you is there a song that you feel defines this whole process, this whole thing, this whole thing that leads up to the release of this album. Um, I mean, there's, I've got a couple of favorites on the album, um, which are lonely road, which is one that I sort of, I wrote by myself during lockdown when I was feeling particularly lonely. Um, and then there's just to be a man, which, um, rich brought to the band when he joined. Um, I think Lonely Road is because of that sort of personal connection that I've got with that song. Um, but then just to be a man, as you listen to the whole song, it takes you through the entire spectrum of emotion, pretty much. With, and I think that's sort of, that, that's what the album as a whole does as well. So for me, just to be a man is probably the, that, that song. For me, it's probably a song that we've gigged, we've played as our final song since the very first gig, and it's the first time we've committed to it to an album. Um, it's also the song that Rich, who we've obviously mentioned, who joined the band um, a few years ago, gave to John 
um, to start with. Um, so it's all kind of come back around. So for me, that kind of covers the entire process up to this point, and that's don't pray for me. We've uh, finished every every show with it we've ever done. You know, it's our yeah, you know, not to hold it up in that regard, but it's our stairway, it's our free bird. You know, it's our it's the song that the whole set kind of leads to, and the solo for it is you know it's quite an emotional thing for me because my rehearsal with the boys it was just Dan and John in that first rehearsal, um, coming up to ten years in October, and we jammed "Don't Pray for Me" and the solo that I play every night is the same solo that came out of me in that rehearsal. So I've just, for me personally, I've just got such a strong connection to the song, and you know, it means a lot to the fans. It means a lot to us, and yeah, it's, it's. I think that's that'd be my choice for the band. You know, the album, you know, is on the eve of being released. What are your plans for touring for playing? Is this going to be something that you plan on touring the rest of this year into next year? Um, are there even thoughts at this point of what's next in terms of recording? Where do you guys stand in, in the present day? Well, we've um, just after the album comes out, we've got a tour booked in Europe um, playing sort of Germany, France and the Netherlands. Um, then we get back from that. We've got a week off, I think, and then we're doing a UK tour. Um, and then once that, UK tour's done. I think we're going to take a little bit of time to start writing, properly writing the next album. Um, but there will be other shows, sort of, especially through festival season, um, and probably another tour later on in the year. Um, but nothing, nothing sort of finalised yet. So, where do you guys, or how do you feel? about this album and then you just mentioned like writing songs again i i have to imagine like the collaborative process because it was so different for this one you are looking forward to getting back to a a normal quote-unquote collaborative process you know because and, and and it's it has to be exciting for you guys because after all you've been through with recording this album and creating the music to go back into what you did before to just see how that process is different, how the band is different and what comes out of it. That has to be something that you guys are looking forward to as well. Well, we've, we've already started writing some of the, some of the next material. And I'll be honest, I think we were all a bit nervous going into a room together because we'd not, we'd not done that process really. You know, with Rich in particular, we'd not written with Rich in a room. We'd, we'd write the songs out of there, as John said, and then bring it to the room already sort of formed. And that's where it would grow into its final beast. But to literally walk into a room with nothing but, a chorus a riff you know an, an idea that i remember the first practice we were all really nervous and at the end of it we went yeah we're actually quite good at this aren't we like we do we get on pretty well like we've got quite a good connection between us that we've already got sort of four or five songs already pretty much there and we're so excited about the direction they're going because as we've, we've drawn on all the experience from before and also we you know band constantly grows you know we've referenced queen a couple of times if you look at them early couple of albums they're much different to what came out with night of the opera and day at the races you know great albums but obviously almost like a different sound and we're constantly evolving and challenging ourselves and and understanding what we want to do as well you know there's a core sound of the band that will always run through whatever we do but that's constantly evolving and will always change based on where we're at so it's understanding that and where we want to go with it you know and it's yeah it's been really exciting we, I think we're all re- really feeling the momentum within the band and within our own creativity as well. So can't wait to see what the product of that will be when the, when the time comes. 
Is it hard for you guys to stay in the present when you're always thinking of another song? You're always thinking of the next rift. You're always thinking of the next melody. But then you've got an album that's coming out that you recorded and you've been sitting with for a long time and creating for a long time. How do you kind of navigate through that to stay, you know, to look forward, but to also concentrate on the now? Um, I mean, we've, we've got a lot of help from our manager on sort of concentrating on the now she'll sort of, um, well, she, she will sort of messages quite regularly reminding us of everything we need to do right now or tomorrow or whatever. Um, so the fact that she does that sort of frees us up almost to sort of start thinking about what, where we want to go next, because we get so many constant reminders of what we need to be doing now <laughs> i think i think i think the gigs help you keep grounded to to living in the moment as well because because obviously the fans aren't in the same headspace we're in they're looking forward to the album they've not heard it yet so i think when you come to show when you play shows and you're getting that reaction and people come up to you afterwards and they say i can't wait for the album i'm so excited you know they don't know what that we're planning on our heads for the next three years so I think having that conversation and feeling that energy helps bring you back down to that current point and focus on what you can do there to to make sure that you're making the most of the, of where you're at at the minute. As we close here, last question. When you think about where you're at today with this album and the material and what you've accomplished as a band, rock and roll, rock music, the genre, it's tough to to maintain a band it's it's tough to maintain you know an audience and to grow an audience but are you happy where the band is at right you know as as this album is about to be released extremely happy with where the band's at yeah um i mean i think we're quite lucky in this band that we we are all so supportive of each other i think that makes it easier for us than a lot of other bands sort of coping with all of the work that goes into it and all of the stress and the fact that those of us that we've all got such supportive partners behind us that understand this is what we need to do um, as well. And we've sort of got our own very tight knit family that's sort of surrounding the band. It certainly makes it a lot easier to, to navigate all of this than than a lot of bands have it i think i'd just echo what john said as well i think the, the one overriding word that sits with me is pride you know because we've we've worked for it we've grafted and we've grafted together you know we've not had we've had very minimal lineup changes you know the core of the band has always remained the same and we've been through a lot you know now we're at the point now where we've got a great fan base that's always growing um we've got a great team around us but you know i look back to sort of seven or eight years ago and it was me, me, John and Dan, you know, piling our gear into into dirty pubs and dirty bars, you know, and, and grafting the songs out and just doing what we did. And we did that for a long time, weekend after weekend. And it's so nice now to feel the fruits of that kind of, you know, bearing. And it's, yeah, my, that's my overriding emotion is, is pride and just, just the joy to be involved in what feels like a really positive force uh, for good and, and love ultimately, you know, I feel very honored to be, in, be involved in it with such lovely gentlemen as well. It's good vibes. 
Well, John and Aaron, it's been a blast talking with you guys. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to the album. Looking oh, forward you, to, to what happens next for you guys and, and uh, yeah, for audiences to enjoy it too as well. Thank you very much, man. It's been a pleasure. Bless you, man. Everyone, that is John and Aaron from the band These Wicked Rivers. You can check out their new album, Force of Nature, coming out on March 1st. They've got some singles on all streaming platforms. All the band's information of where you can find them and where you can listen to the music will be in the show notes. So as you're listening, you can click on that and you can check out as it's interview is and the conversation is in your headphones. They're a really great band from the UK. Once again, I'm Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock music podcast. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And we will talk soon. Thank you. Black gold. Black gold. Well, I was watching. The towers fall. And now we listen to the stories told. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.